Today I have to acknowledge that much of my, this sermon comes from a sermon preached by Tim Keller. Uh, the, the main point and uh, the, the sub-points uh, I got from him and then um, added my own bits and pieces along the way. The main point of this sermon is the main point that Jesus is making in this parable of the tenants, and that is people want control but the control is not ours to have. We find this as we look at the relationship between the tenants and the owner of this vineyard. A man planted a vineyard and rented it to some farmers, the tenants, and went away for a long time. Now, if you were one of those farmers that were entrusted with this vineyard, you would know that your job is to tend the farm, tend the vineyard, and plant and harvest and do all the work and then receive it and know that the owner still owns everything, but the owner will pay you for your work. That's how employee-employer relationships work. Can you imagine an employee who decides that they want to set all the rules for their employment? They tell their boss how they're going to do it and how the how the boss should respond, they say, well, this is what I'm going to do without any consult with the boss. In fact, when the boss comes to tell them how to do it, they say, nope, my way, not yours. That is, the, that is what happens here in this parable. The workers, the farmers, do the work on the property that the owner purchased, the owner did the initial planting, the owner is the one who, of course, should have ultimate control, ultimate authority over this vineyard. And yet, the farmers reject that authority. What Jesus is telling us here telling his original audience, the religious leaders, and telling us is that we are the workers. We are not the owners. We are not the owners even of our own lives because God is in charge. God is ultimately the authority over all things. And yet, the biggest struggle in the human heart is that we want to be in control. And society around us will tell us, well, you should be in control. It's your life. Do what you want. You set your own rules. You set your own goals. You set up what you want from your life. And if anyone tries to get in your way, you tell them it's none of their business because this is your life. We hear it all the time, don't we? Sometimes just straight out and sometimes very subtly, almost constantly, very subtly, the underlying message to us of our culture is, you are your own. You should use what you have for what you want. Now, we know that this can't work for children, 
I've seen parents who talk about a house that they were looking at and they decide not to buy it because it has one of those second story balconies and they say, our kids are climbers. You know what they do. They'd climb right up there and flop down the other side. We can't trust these kids. And just like kids, we say, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do what I want to do. And with kids, we know that it's not smart for them to do everything they want to do. And we know that they're not able to do all things that they think they can do. And why do we then think that we can do all things we want to do and should have the authority to make all of our own decisions and to act like the owner's of our lives, as if we owe our Creator nothing. The correct response to our Creator is a response of thanksgiving. And on this Thanksgiving week, I hope that we can build within ourselves a deeper and deeper sense of gratitude to God, recognizing that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And God has entrusted us with many blessings, but they've been entrustments. We are stewards of this life, stewards of everything that God has given us. Just like these farmers were to be stewards, acknowledging that they ultimately um, answered to the owner, we are stewards of everything we have and everything we are, recognizing that we ultimately owe our lives, everything we have and everything we are, to God. And it's wonderful to live that way, acknowledging that God is in control. And yet, there is an impulse in all of our hearts to say, I want to be independent. I want to make my own way. And what Jesus is saying is, that is not a good way to go. We see that again in the relationship between the tenants and the, the messengers, the, the farmers and the servants who are, are sent with a request that just some of the fruit be sent back to the owner, the one who owns that fruit. And the farmers say no and beat up the messenger. And then a second messenger is sent. They beat up the second messenger and say, no, you can't have any of this. It's ours. But it's not. It's the same way we are when we do not want our illusion of self-sufficiency to be challenged. We want to act as if it's all ours and we can do with everything as we wish, with our bodies, with our minds, with our possessions, with other people. But God says, no, no, you are a steward of what I'm entrusting to you. We don't want to be told we're dependent, and yet we are. Now, the messengers and servants come to help teach the people, the farmers, that they are dependent, that this farm is not their own. And we have messengers to us, too, to remind us that God is ultimately the authority, the owner of all that is. 
Creation is one of those messengers, as we read in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 20. Since the creation of the worlds, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Creation, if you understand it correctly as being creation by God, will lead you to worship God. Now, one little aside here. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't have to believe in God because I believe in science. And I would say those two are not in any way mutually exclusive. And Christians should never be afraid of science or deny any scientific findings because science just shows us what an amazing creator God is. The one thing about the theory of evolution that we have to put aside is that all of this happened by chance because we know that God created it all. But other than that, scientific discovery is just discovery of what God has done. Let's not deny its truth. We also have scripture as a reminder, as a guide, as a messenger to us of who God is, that we are stewards, that we belong ultimately to God. Scripture through church leaders, through your parents, through grandparents, many people probably have told you the truth about who you are and who God is. This week in our men's study, we looked at James chapter um, 4, beginning at verse 13, which says this, Now listen, those who say today or tomorrow we will go off to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why do you not even know, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. Now, in the men's group, we discussed this and thought maybe it would be thought a little strange if with every plan we made, we said, if it is the Lord's will. But we all agreed that we must have the underlying attitude, no matter what we plan, that it will work if it is God's will. Another messenger from God that reminds us that we are not in control are circumstances. Now, at the beginning of COVID-19, I made a point to say, I don't think God sent it directly. I could be proven wrong on that. But we cannot deny that God allowed it. And if anything can convince you that you are not ultimately in control of circumstances and your life, COVID-19 should convince you of that. Devin and I had plans for where we would be traveling this year. We're not traveling this year. We recognize that 
limitations have been placed upon us. We are not ultimately in control of our lives. And yet, sadly, so many people are treating COVID-19 as if as if they own COVID-19. In other words, they think that because they don't like it, it can't be true. They think because they don't like to feel limited, they're not going to be limited. They're going to do whatever they want to do, ignoring what is happening around them. There is no better illustration of the point of this passage than that. People being ridiculous in their response to truth. It is vital that we understand that we do not own our lives, that we do not determine every step that we will take, that there, are, there is an authority far above ourselves, and that authority is God, and God will ultimately work out God's purposes in our lives. And Tim Keller points out that the fact that life doesn't let you be in control should not make you stop believing, as it does for many people, but it should make you start believing. The lie that we are self-determining, that we are in control of everything about our own lives, is seen to be a lie. So where do we look for the truth the truth, as James says it, is that we are a mist. But we are a mist that is loved by God. Our, if our identity and our source of meaning and purpose and value is anchored in God, then our lives will make sense and will work. If we continue to believe the lie that we are self-determining, that we can make our own way, we will be thwarted time and time again, not just by God's direct interaction, but by circumstances that prove to us that that lie never would work. Now let's look at the tenants, the farmers, and the son. The son of the owner. The owner says, what shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love, perhaps they will respect him. And what do they do? They say, well, this is the heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Can you imagine? You have a wealthy boss and you think that by killing his children, you will somehow inherit all his wealth? Forget about it. That is a, a, such a crazy thought that they have that if they kill the son, they will inherit the earth. Who would believe it? And yet, Jesus says this on the way to Jerusalem where the son of God is killed because people think that the earth belongs to them that their plans belong to them, that they should be able to decide for themselves and reject God. They kill the son hoping for an inheritance. But what the scripture tells us is that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the tenants 
kill the son. Jesus says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll kill them. This isn't saying that God will directly kill people who reject Jesus. But what it's saying is he has every right to. Jesus quotes Psalm 118.22, the most quoted Old Testament verse by New Testament writers. And that verse says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then we have a choice. We can build our lives on this cornerstone, and the cornerstone is the stone that gives a building its identity. We often see on the cornerstone uh, a, a the name of the building and the date that it was built. The cornerstone uh, in, in those times in particular was ma they made sure that it had a perfectly right angle so that the whole building would build correctly and with the right dimensions and the right shape. The cornerstone is the foundation upon which the building is built. If we build our lives on the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of understanding who we are as God's belonging to God, that we belong to God, then our lives will be built well. But if we reject this truth, if we reject the Son, we will be calling destruction on ourselves because we just don't have. We do not have that authority. We do not have that power. We do not have that strength to self-determine our lives. Now, we are deceived because there are pieces of our lives that it looks like we're determining, determining but what about eternity? What about what's beyond? We can't determine that. But God is gracious. When we admit that we are God's creation, that we owe everything to him, then our lives take on whole new qualities. It's interesting, is it not? These um, farmers thought if they killed the son, they'd get the inheritance? Of course not. But those who receive the son share in the inheritance. That is the promise of scripture. So I'm gonna close with, um, the Heidelberg Catechism, questions one and two. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Answer, that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question two. How many things must you know that you may live and die in the blessedness of this comfort? Answer. Three, first, the greatness of my sin and wretchedness. Second, 
how I am freed from all my sin and their wretched consequences, and third, what gratitude I owe to God for such redemption. Friends, on this Thanksgiving week, it all begins with giving thanks to God for who God is and the lives that God has granted to us, acknowledging that everything comes from him. Happy Thanksgiving. May you rest in your status as one who belongs in life and in death to the one who gave his life that you may live in glorious fellowship with him now and forever.